0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 237 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Audible.com and TheBarnWorks.com. Welcome
1: to the Stable Scoop. It's weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn
2: the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They're bringing the news through hell, hot
3: water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on
2: down and laugh till your poop Cause
1: It's time again for stable school.
0: Well, howdy, everybody! Glenn the Geek here, and you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, Helene and I took this week off, so we we're bringing you some interviews from some of our other shows on the network that we thought you might enjoy here at the Stable Scoop Radio Show. I also wanted to mention before we get to that that uh, we have a new player on the website that allows you to listen better. I mean, it's a you—you can't miss it when you go to the show notes pages. You'll see it. We were having a little trouble with our listeners being able to listen on their phones. That player had, uh, for some reason, stopped working. So we have fixed that. You can now listen from your iPhone, your any Android phone, any smartphone. Just go to our website and go to any of the show notes pages and hit the big play button, and you should be good to go to listen to our show streaming if you would like. And of course, you can always download them through iTunes. Just go to iTunes to the podcast section and search in the iTunes store for the Stable Scoop Radio Show. We also have a master feed of all of the shows on the Horse Radio Network. Search for Horse Radio Network, and that one brings down any show we put out on the network that week. will be brought down to your your iTunes, so you can load them onto your phone or your iPod or your MP3 player. The first interview I'd like to share with you is from the Driving Radio Show with Alice Trindle. Take a listen right after this word from (music) Audible.com. Hi, all. Glenn the Geek here, and we're excited to bring you a special offer for Horse Radio Network listeners from one of my favorite companies, and that is Audible.com. Audible.com is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre, thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, sports, and so much more. Audible titles play on your iPhone, your Kindle, your Android, or more than 500 different devices that you can listen anytime, anywhere. My wife and I love Audible books. We've been a member of Audible since 2004 and have listened to over 100 books uh, with Audible. What horse person, you know, who has time as a horse person to sit down and to read a book anymore? Yet, I found the time to listen to books on Audible. When I'm not listening to podcasts, while I'm riding, cleaning stalls, or at the gym, or driving, I'm listening to Audible books. And for the listeners of the Horse Radio Network, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash HRN. That's audibletrial.com/slash HRN for Horse Radio Network. And you can download your free audiobook and get your 14-day free trial today. If you can't remember that, just check out our website and you'll find a link to it right there. Enjoy your book. We know you will. Our main guest today is Alice Trindle of TNT Horsemanship. She is out of uh, the Northwest. And she does uh, she does clinics and horsemanship clinics and things like that. But she has a lot of really cool, interesting things to talk about. And one of them is a wildlife drive. So we're gonna we're gonna find out about that shortly. Well, hi, Allison. Welcome to the Driving Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network.
3: Well, thank you to both uh, you, Glenn, and to Wendy. I appreciate the opportunity to come talk to you all the way from Oregon.
0: I know, I know. We we've had a lot of guests on the Horse Radio Network this week from the Northwest. I figured it's because they have nothing else to do, uh, because it's cold and yucky, and you know why not at this point. Um, we're just trying to get through winter into uh, into spring. Tell me a little bit before we get into the driving aspect. We have a lot to talk to you about today because there's so many. You're so fascinating. There's so many interesting things, but and and one of those includes uh, a unique driving event. But tell us how you got into horses. Did you grow up on a rancher?
2: Well, I
3: was very blessed to choose excellent parents that uh, were, uh, were ranchers. Uh, we have uh, been ranchers here in the eastern part of Oregon for, uh, well, about uh, 70 to 80 years. And uh, the other thing that I did well was uh, picked great uh, siblings who happened to all be brothers, five of them, in fact. And uh, so, yes, I uh, did grow up uh, on the back of the horse. And uh, my early memories are riding around, hanging on to my brother's belt loops uh, behind the (laughs) saddle and and that's where it all started. So I, I didn't even have a saddle until I was 10 years old. It was uh, uh, <laughs> just not necessary. So, And we also had uh, uh, draft horses. We we fed with a team. We didn't do uh, much summer work with them, but they were uh, put to work in the wintertime.
0: And what did you have for drafts?
3: You know, we had a variety. I have to say that I kind of continued on with my dad's uh, perceptions and uh, the ones that were the favorite were
0: the percherons. Oh yay! I'm a percheron guy. Um, yay. Yay. I'm so happy. Yeah, are the black ones? I like black ones.
3: Yep. The, the, uh, teams that we've had have, uh, pretty much all been black. We did have one, uh, double gray that turned white, but, uh, for the most part, they were the big black boys.
0: Yay! I, you're, I, I love you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now how, at what point did you, did you start competing at any point or were you involved in any pony club or anything like that?
3: You know, uh, Glenn, we, we just weren't, uh, we, uh, uh, our summers were taken up with, uh, moving cattle in the mountains and out over sagebrush. And, uh, there wasn't any time for, uh, 4-H or Pony Club or really, uh, any of that kind of, uh, competitive aspects. And, and I have to tell you that, uh, uh from, uh, a, a showing standpoint, it just never was something that I was very interested in. And from a rodeo standpoint, which I uh, don't really find as as being uh, uh, um, in my line of thinking for principles about horsemanship, it just was not where I wanted to go.
0: Right. Well, and you grew up on a horse. I mean, you're, you're... You you are every uh, young girl's dream that wants to own a horse someday and wants to ride. I mean, you you grew up in the back of a horse riding bareback before you ever knew what stirrups were.
3: Yeah, and you know the thing is, I just wish I could go back and uh, uh, have all those memories in my body all the time because things came very naturally and and uh, were probably in balance with the horse. Somehow, as I got older, things uh, don't turn out quite as well.
0: Well, it's because we start (laughs) caring about our body parts. That's what what it is. (laughs) When you're 10, you don't care. When you fall off, you bounce. We we just don't bounce as well anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your activities of daily living
0: are very hard on your body. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's right. Getting up in the morning, so so Alice. Now tell us. Let's get a little bit into driving, and then I want to talk to you about a couple other things uh, that you do, and 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 uh, something that we touched about on the phone yesterday. Uh, so so what you guys do a lot of different things. Your TNT horsemanship. And uh, as I understand it, you train horses and you work with horses and people, but you also run these wildlife, uh, what you call wildlife tours. Tell us about that, because that does involve driving.
3: Um, You're exactly right, Glenn. Uh, We were fortunate uh, over the course of the last uh, 25, actually a little bit more years, um, to be able to look at how we might be able to, Use my background with the uh, with the draft horses and horsemanship overall um, to be able to uh, share that with people, but also to combine it with learning a bit more about wildlife. And we had the uh, the good fortune to work with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife to set up Oregon's only horse drawn elk viewing excursion, Um, and that actually started twenty two years ago. Wow! And our uh, program has been to uh, use our uh, our team of uh, pertrans, as we mentioned, and uh, we take people down into a herd of about 150 to 250 head of elk, and uh, my, our daily routine uh, then requires us to uh, unhitch from what we call the people wagon, which in and of itself is pretty unique in that it uh, has a handicap wheelchair lift uh, on it. So that certainly helped out to provide the service for a variety of people. Um, but we unhitch from the people wagon and hitch up to a good old-fashioned hay wagon and uh, back that into the barn and load it up with uh, alfalfa hay and uh, then feed it off to the elk. And uh, in completion of that, then we hook back up to the people wagon and offer tours then up and down the Hill to come in and learn a little bit more about the elk and certainly uh get to watch their antics.
0: Wow. That's what so fun.
1: Cool. <laughs> I know.
0: And the elk are eating alfalfa. That's not bad either for the elk.
3: Well, we kind of are fond of saying it's sort of like chocolate to you and I. If uh, if, if you're anything like uh, like we are, if it's in the house, you find it, you eat all of it, and if it makes you sick, you know, it doesn't seem to deter you very much. And uh, that's uh, kind of the way with alfalfa and the elk. We'd like to feed them a good quality grass hay, which would be more natural for them, but uh, they realize the ranchers are so... Serving up alfalfa, uh, i.e., chocolate, right down the road, and uh, so we we kind of are required to feed them uh, alfalfa to keep them out of the hair of the local ranchers.
0: And are they your elk, or are they wild, or what? These are
3: wild elk, Glenn. Um The uh, the program actually started about 40 years ago when the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, became uh, partners with the local ranchers because the elk were just causing so much damage to their haystacks. And then this time of year, as those crops start coming up, then they'll get in and really do some damage to those those early seedlings as they come up. And uh, so they actually feed at nine different feed sites here along the base of the Elkhorn Mountains in eastern Oregon. And um, today, as, as I'm speaking to you, they're feeding 1,800 head of elk and about 600
1: head of deer. Wow. And they, they're feeding them to try to deter them from going to the other sites. Yep, uh, to keep them out of the uh,
3: the haystacks of the local ranchers, and uh, trust trust me, Wendy, those uh, ranchers that are in a a valley or two on over that uh, are still feeding uh, quite a few elk along with their cattle are are uh, pretty envious of the the ranchers that are here in Baker Valley.
1: Yeah, they must. I would assume the ranchers would get really angry about that and just want to shoot all the elk. Right.
3: Well. you know it it uh it, it something needed to be done to to be able to uh help the help the situation and
1: yeah. uh, they
3: they they eat about uh, 10 pounds of uh of hay per day so uh with 1800 head of elk alone uh they're they're feeding somewhere between 11 and 15 ton a day Oof. uh um, so you can imagine if you were a local rancher going through that uh you you would like to find a a different situation
1: yeah i know i know i was just thinking that if i you know our florida hay is really expensive and if i had all these like my neighbor's deer or whatever coming over to eat my hay i'd be mad (laughs) so i think that's a great program this is something you know maybe here on the east coast we've never thought about as a problem but it's a huge it seems like a huge problem and this is a great solution
0: it
3: really has worked out well, and and the the other component of it actually is the the the, the hunters, uh, and in that uh, um, they they're happy with the, this the situation because we're keeping a, a good healthy animal, and uh, they're certainly part of uh, keeping a, a nice balance as well. So, and the 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 treat is for those of us that might not hunt, uh, or folks that aren't uh, ranchers that wouldn't get to see them up close and personal, that uh, we can get them right down within uh, uh, less than five feet from these uh, magnif- magnificent uh, animals.
0: I love the fact, too, that you're using horses to feed and not a tractor. I love Yeah, that. me too. Well,
3: you know, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming is the other place that's really well known for their elk viewing, and um, they do use teams of horses there. Uh, um, but as I mentioned, we're the only one in, in Oregon that uh, offers that situation. and it's uh, it, it really uh, brings back in the uh, the ambiance of uh, a bygone era. And I think uh, really uh, that's probably the main reason that I've continued to want to to uh, participate in this for the last 22 years is it's just uh, there's just something about sitting behind two big Pertrin uh, horses and, uh, having 4,000 pounds on the end of, uh, your lines and, um, being able to communicate with just the slightest of, uh, suggestions and that, uh, that does something for your heart too. So it's, uh, uh, it, 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 that, that's really the main attraction for me and, and for a lot of people that come to watch as well. Certainly the, the Elker are number one, but, uh, uh, we're fond of saying that our our, our team are the most petted uh, horses in all of uh, Eastern Oregon, and I believe that's probably the case. and uh, <laughs> to see a you know a little a little pint sized person just betting uh, the nose of that uh, big old pertrin, and and uh, their the head is probably bigger than the, the than the child, and mm-hmm. there's just something pretty special about that.
0: My wife always said there there's nothing that I would rather have in front of me than a big black butt. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> hey uh tell tell us about well let's go into a couple of other things here. Um and I'm I'm gonna mispronounce it and I saw this in your in your bio on the website. Is it Doma Vacura? Am I close? You're
3: pretty close. Okay. Uh huh. It's Doma Vacera.
0: Vacera. Okay. Uh-huh. So Doma Vacera. Yep. So what's Doma Vacara? Well,
3: the doma Vaquera was really the the major cowboy uh, for in Spain, and um, they hold even today a very high um, uh, level of uh, appreciation across the the, the Spanish culture. Um, uh, if you've been, visited uh, Spain, you know that the the horse in and of itself is very respected and. And uh, and considered a, a huge part of their their heritage and their honor. And uh, to be a, a Doma Vaquera, and particularly to be a La Uh Now Lagrachist is a a, a a horseman that works with a 13 foot long bullfighting pole. And uh, this pole originally was used to, uh, uh... really kind of test the bulls and, and uh, the bulls that they have in Spain, of course, are nothing like we'd want to produce out here in, in Eastern Oregon for our beef cattle. Their bulls are fighting bulls, and they really want one that's very uh, aggressive and has a lot of machismo. And uh, so these uh, garachas, garachos, the 13-foot-long pole, and the uh, horseman that's carrying it would use the pole to kind of joust the, the hip of the bull or to put it between their back legs and trip them. If the bull got up fighting mad two or three times, then that was a really good bull. And uh, so the partnership that came from that between the, the, uh, the horseman and uh, his horse uh, really then moved into a beautiful dance that's done with uh, uh, Spanish guitar music um, and the uh um the horseman uh just uh, dancing underneath the pole and doing all of his work at uh the walk in the canter uh or the dead out run. Uh and it's it's just something uh, beautiful to, to uh behold and definitely worth your audience taking a, a look and just uh doing a search for Garocha or Doma Vaquera. And uh, they'll they'll just be amazed at the, the horsemanship and the artistry.
1: You know, we just saw that. Um, at least I just saw it for the first time at Arabian Nights. They have uh-huh. a, a a little presentation of it, and I had no idea that it was about bullfighting. It, it, but it is. It's a beautiful dance, and it looks so incredible. It, and it and it's it is real partnership between the horse and the rider.
3: Oh, definitely, Wendy. The um, Uh, The ultimate uh, lagrachist would attach his reins to his belt, and the garrocha is always held in your right hand, so it frees up your left hand to be able to do inflections with your hat, so that you might take that off and (laughs) toss the bull with it, or if there's an audience, of course, Mm -hmm. being Spaniards, uh, they would have to uh, uh, show off a little bit that way as well. Right. it's a, it truly is uh, uh, something that uh, I became in- introduced to it when I uh, was uh, introduced and had the great privilege to ride in Cantador, who is uh, an Andalusian stallion that uh, lives in uh, halfway Oregon, which is just here in the eastern part of the state. And um, I figured that if I had the honor to ride him, I needed to learn more about his heritage. And that's exactly uh, uh, what I found out. Uh, and now I'm, I'm just completely enamored by it. And what's been interesting, too, uh, is that in our horsemanship clinics now, we play with the uh, garocha, the, the 13-foot-long pole, because of all the benefits that it brings from uh, developing balance and focus and uh, use of your aids. Um, plus, it's just, it's just kind of fun.
0: I I could see myself getting (laughs) shish-kebobbed in the practicing of that. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, learning that must be, like, very dangerous.
3: It can be a little bit intimidating at first. Yeah, we spend quite a bit of time on the ground uh, with the pole before we get on the horses.
0: (laughs) And I I worry about myself when I do the horse in that particular situation after watching it because the end of the pole is always pointed somewhere in your direction. so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you have to get the horse used to the dragging of the pole and having it be around, just like with driving. You just can't get on and go. Some horses are just not going to take to it, I would assume.
3: Oh, you're exactly right, Wendy. You know, the, the, what I've found is that our preparation on the ground is critical, and it doesn't matter whether I'm uh, uh, going to find myself uh, up in the saddle or behind the lines. Um, and in our horsemanship clinics, we spend a lot of time uh, doing uh, really what would be more classical uh, uh, school, uh, ground school kinds of maneuvers. Uh, work in hand, driving on the long lines. And again, it doesn't matter whether we're uh, we're going to put them behind a, a, a cart or a wagon, or whether we're uh, hopping up into the saddle. Um,
2: mm-hmm. Those
3: those preparations are, are critical and. Um certainly there, there's a lot to be gained from the, that both in the driving world and in the the the, uh, the overall horsemanship world.
0: Now, tell us the other one of the other things that we saw, and of course uh you know as drivers, especially combined drivers you're you're doing dressage with your horses in the carriage and and Wendy has spent many an hour doing that. <laughs> Uh, and but in your bio it says along with cra- classical dressage applied to ranch horse activities you know ranch horse activities evolve obviously everything that you would do on a ranch with the cattle and and, and general you know uh, things that, you know that you have to do so what what where does classical dressage come into that
3: I just think that's an excellent question Glenn and uh, w- what's interesting is that uh um, most recently, I've had the, the great honor to study with uh, one of uh, the folks from um, the East Coast, and I'm sure you're familiar with Bettina Drummond. Yeah. Uh, and Bettina is, uh, is truly uh, one of the, the master horsemen uh, of the world. Um, and uh, in my studies with uh, Bettina over the course of the last about uh, uh, 10, 15 years, then one of the things that she and I have begun to talk more about are the relationships between bringing a horse along in more of a classical dressage uh, uh, principles and format, um, as compared to uh, the way that we might bring our horses along out west um, in a more traditional uh, vaquero type type of a, a, a of a true what we'd call a true bridle horse or the the, the double bridle out here. And um, just last uh, uh, fall, then Bettina actually made the trip from Connecticut uh, hauling her uh, quarter horse stallion um, out uh, to uh, it's what she called her westward hoe trip and <laughs> uh, came out to really explore some of those differences in balances in how we're using the biomechanics of the horse uh... as uh... and the jobs that we have to do out here out west uh... as compared to her classical dressage training and um, really what i have uh... discovered as i've been really studying that the last uh, many years is that the, there are a lot of similarities in that um, from a biomechanics standpoint i want my horse uh... to be engaged uh... i want them to have self carriage or Out west, we might call it a soft feel. Uh, I I want my horse to uh, be light in the bridle, uh, and with uh, uh, classical dressage, you might call that contact. Uh, I want my horse to be able to cover uh, ground in an efficient manner. Uh, That might be the the rhythm that I'm looking for um, in uh, classical dressage. Um, So a lot of it came back down to uh, there may be different words used, but from a biomechanics standpoint, there were a lot of similarities. And um, I'm not saying that uh, all of our Western uh, pursuits uh, will have the same kind of self-carriage that I would look for in a classical dressage-trained horse. Um, for instance, uh, in a, a cut, look at the difference between uh, a, a cutting horse and uh, how he has to lower his shoulders. He still has to lower his croup, um, but his shoulders and his pole are much lower than where we might be in a, uh, a, a classical dressage move, um, maybe uh, uh, right before a, a nice pee-off or uh, our, our Canada part. Um, so... There are similarities, but there were uh, things that I think that we could talk about on both ends. Um, The ultimate is, what's the job that we are going to ask the horse to accomplish with us, and how can we uh, uh, develop that in a balanced way so that we're out of the way of the horse and uh, in the most beautiful picture that we can be to accomplish that job.
1: Do you have different types of... uh ranch horses for different jobs like would you say this one is going to go move the cows and this one is going to you know do more heavy work but slower around the farm do you, do you break them up like that or they are are they all all around horses?
3: Well Wendy probably just similar to some of your horses you know that you have ones that excel at, at certain jobs more than others so mm-hmm. I have uh, for instance a, a um, a, a a quarter horse that's uh probably only about uh fourteen and a half hands something like that not not real tall and boy she's uh just my favorite to go out if i'm going to be doing work uh with the cows in a s in a more confined kind of situation mm-hmm. um as opposed to if i'm uh, heading out to uh to gather cows on a uh a fifty thousand acre piece of sagebrush. I'd rather be on a, a a longer-legged uh uh appendix quarter horse that I have because she uh covers the ground better. Um
2: right.
3: so more it's uh uh it's kind of w- uh what what job you might have to do but uh what wh- what does the horse excel at? And I'm fortunate that I that I have 10 horses on my place so I can uh, kind of choose from that but
0: Which one do you take to town to go to Dairy Queen?
3: Well, you know, the, it used to be the, the Draft Horses, of course, because they spent quite a little bit of time <laughs> love uh, ice uh, in town. They love ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do have to give a nod to the versatility of the Andalusian, and, and I have several of uh, the Andalusian crosses, uh, the Azteca um or the Hispano-Arab, and um, I just find them to be so versatile to, and uh, uh, love the, the natural balance they have and the natural ability to drop their croup and to uh, come from behind and collect so easily.
0: The reason I asked that question, uh, you know, I was trying to make it funny, but also because uh, Christy Lee Cook, American Idol Christy Lee Cook, is from Up Your Way and she's been recently post—she's been riding again now that she can't sing for a while. She heard her voice and has been on arrest. And uh, she's been posting pictures of her riding into town at the drive through So that's why I asked that
3: question. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's working out for her. Um, you know, that's—out uh, it, it, out here, the other thing she may have to kind of look into are some of our uh, uh, micro-brews because— uh, that's a, a, a real more safe way to, to uh, consume uh, one of our great uh, locally crafted beers is <laughs> jumping right on your Because the horse knows the way home. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> hey, uh, I wanted to uh, also, re- before we let you go, we're, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to mention this because I think it's something a lot of people might not have heard about. And that is when I asked you yesterday if uh, we always had a percherons that had problems with abscesses and percherons and, Drafts in general are known to have uh, feet issues. Some of the lines and some of them do. Uh, but you, you practice something uh, w- in regard to feet. Tell us about that.
3: You bet, Glenn. Uh, the last five or six years, we have been pursuing the uh, principles of applied equine podiatry, as uh, Casey Lapierre has uh, uh, put together. And uh, we have the good fortune that uh, uh, one of our friends is an uh, uh, APE. She's uh, certified to be able to uh, practice that. And the, 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 the core principle of applied equine podiatry is that it looks at each foot separately and is not just looking at the outside picture of what the hoof looks like, but also is really studying what the structure inside the the hoof, inside the foot, is uh, uh, it, it, what's happening there. And as uh, as we all know, and and uh, uh, our doctor Wendy can tell us, is uh, you know if you you don't have a healthy foot and hoof, you don't have a healthy horse. And mm-hmm. um, the uh, the. Uh, application of this uh, idea of more of a podiatry, uh, really looking at each foot as an individual and then balancing that foot uh, for that particular horse, um, has made quite a difference in our herd. And uh, we, we, have, uh, it's not just about uh, going uh, without shoes. Um, it's uh, it's looking at it in a much more holistic and in-depth way. The one thing I would say with it, though, Glenn, is that um, it, it it does take a, a commitment over a period of years to be able to get your horses' uh, uh, feet healthy, and um, that commitment is uh, takes a lot of time from the the human in being able to get rid of the infection that we uh, that that is in there in most uh, horses that are shod. Um, and it, uh, it it takes a it takes a, a bit of time.
1: Alice, I'm so glad you brought up the commitment, and because I think that you know f- fixing your horses your horse's body from the hooves up is, is a long term goal, and people need to like give it a chance. You know, not just keep switching to something new before the the thing you tried to see if the thing you tried worked or not. And so sometimes I have that problem too when I'm treating patients that they don't always see the light at the end of the tunnel. So you have to say, okay, look, this is our goal, and this is how we get there. And, and I think that's a great way to put it. I think that's a great way that, um, to tell people that it's a long-term commitment. But it's worth it, right?
3: Well, it certainly has been. And, and uh, again, from uh, taking a look at it from what are the jobs you're going to ask of your horse, um, in the, in the, uh, end, you may still have to go back, um, and, and put a shoe on that horse. If you're really riding on some rocky ground or, uh, uh, hard pavement or things like that, but look at it from the standpoint that you are at least, uh, putting a shoe on a healthy hoof and a healthy foot. Um,
2: right.
3: that, that's, uh, that's certainly worth it. And, you know, that's, I guess that kind of goes back to also my philosophy about why to pursue the classical dressage principles um, is that in the long term, uh, my horse is going to live longer and be healthier. Um, and I, I, I have such commitment to them. I, I don't want to be looking at having to put my horse down when uh, they get to be 20 years old.
0: Right. Well, this is terrific. Where can people find out more about you?
3: Well, Glenn, the, the best way is to uh go online. Uh we're at T N T Horsemanship dot com. Uh or uh just Google my name which is Alice Trindle. T R I N D L E. And um uh we'd love to have some folks from the the your listeners from the East Coast or those that are listening out here in the west come visit us our ranch. Uh we're right here at the the base of the blue mountains it's a beautiful setting and we're kind of eclectic i was uh, teasing Wendy earlier about being a bit of eclectic and that's, that's
1: the, the nicest way we word she's too. been
0: called in a long time by the way, alice.
1: <laughs> i think it's a compliment i appreciate it alice thank you very much <laughs>
3: But we offer a lot of, uh, uh, difference in our, in our clinics, uh, uh, from, uh, working with the cows and riding in the mountains too. Uh, we do some of the Doma Vacara as we mentioned and certainly, uh, the classical principles work in hand, uh, driving on the long lines. Those are some of the things that we pursue here. And in the wintertime, you can come and, uh, watch some elk with us. Sounds... Behind two big black butts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds absolutely terrific. Thank you so much, Alice, for joining us again. It's TNThorsemanship.com. Well, next up we had an opportunity on the Horses in the Morning show that we do live Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern at horses in the morning Eastern at HorsesInTheMorning.com. We had an opportunity to speak to the returning champion of Road to the Horse, Dan James. Australian Dan James had a fun conversation with him, so why don't you take a listen to that, and I hope you enjoy. Before we get to Dan, though, I wanted to remind you that if you buy anything at Amazon, please stop by our website at Stablescoop.com and click on the Amazon link on the left side of the page before you go buy anything. That helps... uh, It doesn't cost you any extra. It'll just take you right to Amazon, and it helps us just get a little bit of credit for everything you buy through our affiliate program with them. And we appreciate all of our listeners who do that, and we would encourage you to do it. As I said, it doesn't cost you anything. You just go there before you buy anything at Amazon, click on that link, and just one extra click to help support uh, us here at the Horse Radio Network. Well, let's talk to Dan James uh, from a road or – he is the returning champ uh, from the Team Australia and rode to the horse. Of course, Guy McClain, a friend of the show. He has been on this show many times. I think this might be the first time that we have Dan on. Good morning, Dan. Good, yeah, mate. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. You, in a couple of weeks, you're going to be back at it again, aren't you?
4: Mate, we are. It's uh, come around real quick, you think, sort the 12, 12 months ago. And it, I tell you what, it's rolled around really bloody quick.
0: Now, last year you had, uh, two countries that you were competing against. There were a total of, I remember right, there were a total of six of you. This year, they're just pitting you against the girls and some cute ones at that and some really good horsewomen. I think you guys don't have a chance, myself. <laughs>
4: well, mate, I, I think that you might be right on the money. I know I'd much prefer to come in as the underdog anyway.
0: <laughs> well, you and Guy, obviously, are, are true horsemen. We've known Guy for years, actually, and, uh... Uh, gotten to see his work, and I got to see you last year doing your thing at Road to the Horse. How has your life changed? I mean, were, did you get more work and everything as a result of Road to the Horse? Has it been good for your exposure here in the United States?
4: Well, oh, mate, for sure. I mean, there's no um, other sort of cold starting event quite like it. Um, you know, in comparison to the the audience and that that it reaches and, and gives people an opportunity. Uh, to see what we're all about and, and showcase our, our horse, horsemanship and also our horses that we have with us. So, it's, um, yeah, it's an incredible event to sort of reach a lot of people.
0: Now, you actually are you reside in the Lexington, Kentucky area, don't you?
4: Yeah, that's right, mate, out there at uh, TaylorMade uh, Farms, which is one of the largest um, thoroughbred consignment agencies uh, in the world. They're uh, very fortunate to uh, have them on board as partners and sponsors.
0: Okay, that's not a bad setting to hang out, Dan, uh,
4: TaylorMade. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it, it gets a little rough, you know, uh, waking up <laughs> each morning and seeing those rolling green hills and all the perfectly aligned fences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
2: not bad. <laughs> that's so, pretty how good did you day. get, how did you get involved with Made Farm? I'm curious to know. I mean, that is like a... For somebody like me, that is a dream place to live. You roll in, you see all the little balls running around, perfectly manicured. Where? How did that happen?
4: Mate, we were um, very fortunate during World Equestrian Games um, 2010 while in Lexington. There, we actually um, had uh, the opportunity to meet Frank Taylor, one of the one of four brothers that were that were there. And uh, during the games, Frank sort of seen some of our demos, and uh, he actually he said to me, "said How long would it?" Uh, take, you know, for you to take a young horse and stand on the back cracking the whips and uh, I said well mate, I said on average it usually sort of takes 25 to 30 minutes and and he sort of you know, didn't believe me and at that point in time I didn't really know who TaylorMade was or, or Frank and he invited me out to the farm and it became become very apparent very quickly as to just how involved in the horse and thoroughbred industry they were so Frank actually timed it, uh, we were at uh, the round pen and he, uh said, pick any one of these colts through are in a barn full of 20 horses. And we went through and did a little demonstration. And Frank looked down, his watch. and said, well, that was at 18 minutes. While well, the time you standing on the back of those two horses, he said, I don't believe you. Uh, so uh, he said, uh, let's go and get another horse. So um, that's kind of how it all uh, started out uh, with our involvement in TailorMate.
2: Were you thinking at that moment, <clears throat> you better be paying me for this? <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, there was, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure what Frank had in mind, but, um, you know, as it turns out, he's pretty out-of-the-box out of kind of thinking kind of person, so uh, it certainly uh, turned out well for both of us.
2: So are you doing basically all the training on their horses?
4: No. How it kind of works is being a yielding place like they are, as well as being a stallion division and that – What they'll do is that they'll have me come in and they'll probably pick out, you know, half a dozen to a dozen for the young horses that they may be having some trouble with or need some more extra attention. And that's Mm -hmm. where I'll come in and work with those horses. You know, helping develop those horses to be um, a little bit more relaxed and uh, obedient in that particular to the handlers because the difference between, you know, half a million and a million some days is just the way that that colt walks down that runway. So that's where it really becomes, um, you know, pretty important. Uh, I mean, their staff do a great job. Uh, There's no uh, question about that. Um, But it's just those couple of, you know, colts that come through each year that just need a little bit more added attention.
2: Wow. Wow, that's great. Well, so when you are doing Road to the Horse, are you trying to get thoroughbreds involved in it now?
4: I would love to see that happen. I know that at this year's Road to the Horse event, uh, Tail and will have a lot of their clients... Uh, there, and I know that it'll be a really, you know, insight to them to see, I guess, just a different perspective on horsemanship as to what they're, you know, probably are used to.
0: Well, and of course, that leads into the next thing is you have a new venue this year. It'll be the first time, and it's the 10th anniversary of Road to the Horse, and it's the first time that it's going to be held at the Kentucky Horse Park at the new All Tech Arena, and, you know, you've been over there. That's a terrific arena. It's going to be a great venue for this.
4: Oh mate, it's just unbelievable. It's a you know absolute state of the art um, venue, and I think that it's definitely the place uh, you know that Road the horse needed to be.
0: Now you're going to have some spectators there this year, from what I understand. Uh, uh, many of the past winners of the Road to the Horse, which is basically a who's who of the uh, of the horse world, are going to be there watching you. So there's going to be no pressure.
4: Yeah, Dan, I thank you for pointing that out and reminding me once again.
0: Yeah, no problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> One of the things that they do that's pretty cool is if you can't make it to Kentucky or you haven't bought your tickets, you're not going to get them anyway because I'm sure they're sold out about six months ago, um, is that you can watch it online. There's a fee for it, but they do a live webcast for the whole weekend. I think it's like 29 bucks or something like that. And you can watch the whole thing. Uh, right online. So if you can't get to see Dan in person, then you can at least get to see him on TV. Um, cool. And, yep. So uh, you can watch it uh, right on your computer. And who are you competing against this year? Uh, it's it's uh, you and Guy. And who, who are you competing against?
4: We've got uh, Sarah Winters and Obi. Uh, both of the girls are out from uh, California.
0: Yeah, Obi Shlam is, uh, is one of them. And and Sarah Winters and they are some serious horsewomen. You guys are going to have some competition.
4: Oh no doubt, no doubt. Um, I know that they'll uh, definitely do a hell of a job uh, with whichever colts that they uh, select and uh, hopefully I they get an easier one.
0: <laughs>
2: now, <laughs> so, uh, I'm struggling. Sure how, how exactly do they choose the colts and whose are they and how do they get you guys these particular horses?
4: Well we're very fortunate that uh, four sixes uh, ranch and Dr. Blood just supplies uh, the remuda that come up to Road to the Horse. Uh, they're always uh, you know, an amazing uh, group of horses which they put to, together. They keep saying that they're going to be better than the last Well, I find it hard to believe after the, the colt that I was uh, fortunate enough to purchase after Road to the Horse last year that I have on my team now. But in saying that the, the process in which they go through for selection is that those horses are brought up, we all basically draw numbers in the order in which that we are allowed to select our colts, and then we choose those horses, um, you know, from the pen.
0: And uh, gotcha. you did buy your horse last year, so uh, you must. it sounds like you're real happy with that purchase.
4: Oh, mate, he's just um, an incredible part of our uh, team. Um, I've already said, you know, great horses, but um, yes, nicknamed Swampy, uh, he... Uh, has certainly gone on to uh, showcase some, you know, some really, I guess, just how athletic and intelligent and that that he is, and we're really that's probably the highlight, in all honesty, for me this year coming back to Road to the horses to bring back this colt after 12 months and to, you know, to show the progression and what he's been able to, um, you know, achieve in such a short amount of time. Well,
2: I gotta ask you a question, Dan. Um, I mean obviously we already know that every Australian man is good looking and every Australian <laughs> woman is beautiful. So we we've we've cleared that up. But I wanna know Clearly my, you didn't are, come
4: from where I, from the parts <laughs> I've seen
2: then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen pictures. We're good. Like uh, so so but I wanna ask you how how are you guys raised with this special touch with horses i mean it just it's ironic that you and guy both you know being from australia have been so successful with these horses um who, who trains you
4: well i think it's called survival um because back home if you if you don't sort of like really you know get after it and and uh, have it go you just can't survive and uh make any kind of living from it. So I think that it's uh, a lot of survival, wanting to wanting to eat and feed your horses that um, gives you the drive.
2: Well, I mean, I've seen the man from Snowy River, and I understand that, you know, you have to lasso your own horses and chase down your own brumbies and stuff and tame them. Uh, that's my impression anyway. And by the way, he was good looking too, mind you, so my theory <laughs> is correct. Uh <laughs> so you just just survived so you just learned these techniques just through trying to survive there was no like person that inspired uh, you
4: or anything look, this, I've been very fortunate to um, be around uh, a bunch of guys that I would consider to be you know incredible horsemen and, and you talk about the men from Snow River one of the uh, influences large influences in our Liberty horse work has been a man by the name of Heath Harris who is an old movie horse trainer from Australia and uh, Heath. Sort of, you know, shared a lot of uh, stuff with us. There's also been uh, Jose Manolo Mendez that came from uh, the school, uh, the writing, Spanish writing school that uh, were based over in Australia for some time. So we've been very fortunate to uh, to have been around, you know, a lot of people that have been willing to share their knowledge and that with us. And sometimes it's just a matter of the of the principle that they share with us as opposed to the direct technique. So there's uh, no question that we've been very fortunate to have. Um, uh, people around us like that.
2: Well, we're going to post a link to it on our Facebook page. It's uh, it's awesome that you've been around such amazing people and such great influences, and and it looks like your horse is. I mean, so you bring this horse home from Road to the Horse, and he is now living at Taylor Made Farms. Are you kidding? Did he just freak out and roll in the grass? And just, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
4: Well, he should be thanking because currently we're down in uh, Ocala in Florida. So oh, no. um, as opposed to uh, avoiding the snow that's in Lexington right now, I-, I hope that he does
0: really appreciate what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we just before you came on, actually, we were talking about the EHV situation. Has that affected what you're doing here in Florida at this point?
4: Look, um, we had some stuff that we were, had scheduled this weekend that we've um, uh, decided to uh, not be a part of just for the fact that, you know, I, I guess, you know, the more times that you're around, you know, other horses and, and other horse people, unfortunately, right now down in this area, you know, you're just uh, bringing up and the, uh, I guess, element of risk. So we've decided not to do anything, in, uh by sort of Monday, we'll be headed back to uh, Lexington. Okay. Well,
0: I, a couple of our uh, listeners, I assume young girls who are not married, want to know if you're married or have a girlfriend, so I have to ask on their behalf. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, uh, I, I do. I'm uh, very lucky working on it, though. It's, uh, I tell you what, if uh, the girls were only half as easy to understand as these horses, this would be a lot easier deal to uh, to figure out.
0: <laughs> you are so correct, Dan. You are so right. <laughs> I don't well, see
2: what the problem is. <laughs> Gee, oh.
0: <laughs> Dan, you have well, a terrific time. Right on the head. <laughs> <laughs> you have a terrific time up there in Kentucky. Good luck to you. Uh, we ha- we wish you the best, although, I, as I said, I think the girls, are you know, as you just said, I think the girls are going to prove to be your your most serious competition yet. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Dan. The thing, Good the luck. Thing
4: that they, uh, the thing that they don't have is uh, a pen wrangler like I, I do with my partner, Dan Steers, so uh, I think that's where I'm going to have a little bit of advantage.
0: <laughs> good, <laughs> luck. Whatever. good luck good luck Dan James uh, <laughs> alright we'll talk to you after Okay, whether you win or lose you still have to come on well that will wrap things up uh, this week for the Stable Scoop radio show hope you enjoyed the interviews we pulled from other shows here in the Horse Radio Network you can listen to all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com We'll be back next week with the Horse Husbands episode, our annual tradition, one of our most popular shows we do here on the Horse Radio Network, always very popular every year. We have some great guests lined up for you, some returning and some new, and uh, one boyfriend too, so we always have to have the boyfriend that's not married yet, so we can uh, we can warn him about all the things he has to look forward to. So that's the Horse Husbands episode next week, and then the Horse Wives episode. We'll follow that the week after. So, you can follow us on Facebook just search for Stable Scoop and you can find all of the show notes and all the past episodes of the Stable Scoop radio show at stablescoop.com if you listen on iTunes we'd love some feedback if you could just uh, hop into the iTunes uh, and uh, right click on our name on your Itu- on your iTunes player there right click on our name Stable Scoop radio show and there's a place where you can leave feedback we would love 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 for you to do that it helps us with our rankings in iTunes Have a great week, everybody. Wear your helmets, be safe, and have some fun.